Legends podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is John Viner, the iconic actor, comedian, impressionist, and author. His big break in 1964 on Merv Griffin's talent scout show in New York City led to over two dozen appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show and over three dozen appearances on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. John's vocal library has been used in hundreds of cartoons and animated films, most memorably on the Ant and the Aardvark series. But of significant interest to the Toronto Legends podcast, John starred in the comedy sketch series Bizarre for six seasons in the early 80s, filmed and produced right here in Toronto. And to top everything off, John recently summarized his life and storied career in an autobiography called Five Minutes, Mr. Viner. Welcome, John, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? I'm uh, in Florida, and I'm fine. Thank you very much, Andrew. I appreciate this. Well, uh, is Florida always been your home, or uh, no? No, I started out in Long Island, Queens, uh, Elmhurst, and then uh, uh, stayed there most of my life, and then moved out to LA when I got into show business, and stayed there for about thirty years, and came back here to Florida. And and may I ask what kind of part of Florida? Because as you may know, here in Toronto and Canada. We're just below Saint, just below Saint Augustine, a little new town called uh, Palm Coast. You see, I'm sure you're running into a lot of Canadians down there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I want to preemptively, if I may, wish you a happy birthday. I understand exactly in one week you will be 84. 85. 85. <laughs> happy birthday ahead of the curve. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when were you last in Toronto or or Canada? Gosh, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Let's see. Wow. Um, I went back there. No, it's been years, many years. I can't even count. Yeah. Why did you We figured, we, we stopped uh, Bazaar in 86. Yes. And then I went back to do, uh, to do uh, the, the uh, uh, My Five Wives up in uh, Vancouver. And that's the last time I was in Canada. But that was with... Uh, Hey, you know what I mean, Pointer? You want to be in my movie? Yeah. <laughs> well, John, why do we? Why do so many of us assume you are Canadian? When I when I talk to people to interview, no, I'm a Canadian. I'm a Canadian. <laughs> I go all the way back with Bobby Vinton. Wow. Back, way back when he did his show, and I I became friends with uh, Lisa Del Bello, who's a a wonderful singer up there in Canada. Absolutely. Yeah, a wonderful performer. Well, you certainly have your ties. If I may, let's go back all the way back and get the John Viner story. Born in Queens in 1938, your childhood and upbringing was in Long Island, New York. How do you recall, John, your upbringing and your, your family experience? Well, uh, we moved a lot. <laughs> there were six of us, six, six kids, six kids. Um, my sister, uh, Helen, joined the convent when she was nine, uh, 14 years old. And uh, she stayed in the convent until she was 28 years old. And... Um, and my sister Miriam, uh, she's the eldest of the family, and she's uh, 97 now. And uh, <laughs> and uh, Mike and all these people uh, in the family, and uh, and we uh, we moved a lot. Uh, my father would uh, move out to uh, different towns. Uh, 
poorer we got, the further out in Long Island. <laughs> okay. We went from the big house to smaller houses, to smaller houses, to smaller houses, further out on the Long Island. And uh, it wound up in uh, Bohemia. And then my father passed away and we moved back to Queens to stay with my Aunt Annie and Uncle Joe for a few months while my mother collected some money to get our own apartment. And um, we stayed in Queens. And from, uh, from Queens, my sister Miriam got a house with an upstairs, you know, two-family house. And we lived upstairs from her. And from there, I joined the Navy. And uh, and uh, when I get out of the Navy, I got into uh, show business for a little while. I wanted to ask about that. You served in the United States Navy. How old were you and, and how long did you serve? And what was that experience like? I went in when I was 17. I did what they call the kitty cruise. And that means you can get out when uh, just a day or so before you're 21. And uh, that's what I did. I moved. I, I went into the Navy. I became a radio operator and teletype and, uh, and uh, went out to San Diego. And I was in the uh, squadron, uh, fifth squadron out there in uh, uh, the Pacific and uh, San Diego went out to uh, Magellan Island and uh, then to Guam for 20 months. Guam. <laughs> so that, this is your first chance to kind of get out of town and, and you see the world, not under yes, the Greek conditions. Absolutely. But. absolutely. And while in Guam, I, I was approached by a fellow, uh, a fellow sailor and, uh, and, and they said they're going to have a big uh, party for the Admiral and maybe we could put a little show together little something together and we did and i did and i got i got the little thing together and worked it out and it was a big hit and um and from that i i went back to uh out of the navy and i got married real fast and i had kids and needed some extra money because i was working at a pool company at the time uh, helping build pools around around new york and uh, new jersey and uh, long island and and i um I, uh, try, I, I saw there was a sign one day while I was driving to work that said entertainment every Saturday night. So I figured, well, hey, one Saturday, I'll figure I'll go and see what's going on. And as I walked in, there was a guy getting missed from the audience. One guy clapping <laughs> as he left the stage, a comedian. I went to the boss. I said, uh, hey, is it okay if I, he says, well, it couldn't hurt. You know, he's like a funny danger field. Hey, it couldn't hurt, pointing his head toward the stage. You know? Yeah. So, so I got up there. It was a small trio. I got up there, and I was great. They loved me, and uh, and I, I worked there every Saturday night for uh, extra money. And as you continued to work, your big break, March 1964, you had just started your career as an impressionist comedian. You were performing at the Village Vanguard Nightclub in Greenwich Village. A talent scout for Ed Sullivan, the king of television entertainment, saw you and invited you to perform for, I think he was called the old man. Yes, and it turns <laughs> the out man likes you, if the old man likes you, he'll put you on up the road sometime. You know? Well, what's what's crazy about that is uh, he'll put you on if he likes you down the road. It turns out your test rehearsal in front of Ed Sullivan went so well that you literally went on live the same night as your rehearsal, your test yep. in front of millions. What was that right. like? That was, I couldn't believe it. It happened so fast. I didn't even have time to think about it. I was, I was all set to drive back to my house you know, in Long Island. And uh, they said, you're on tonight. You know, I was there for the dress rehearsal and uh, I hadn't met Ed Sullivan. I, he stood off the side of the stage. And and uh, then uh, when we were getting ready to do the actual show to millions of people, I met him. And uh, he asked me where I was from. And I said, uh, at the time, I was from Baldwin, Long Island. <laughs> and he says, 
he says to the audience of millions of people, and here from Baltimore, <laughs> a new comedian, John Minor, and all the friends in Baldwin said, what the hell, were you embarrassed to say you were from Baldwin? <laughs> and, and there's no, no internet to correct the, uh, the error back then. No. So, uh, so I just uh, went on from Baltimore and uh, later on married a woman from Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> John, your your successful Ed Sullivan Show appearance was instrumental in launching a long career, nightclubs, television, movies, and Broadway. And it included all those fantastic experiences that you had on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. It's been said that only three people could really make Johnny Carson laugh. Jonathan Winters, Don Rickles, and you, John Biner. What do you recall about interacting with Johnny Carson? Johnny Carson was a shy guy, you know. He'd uh, he'd come in and talk to me like Jessel because he loved my Judge Jessel impersonation. People probably say "boo" around this country now, and this, so it was a guy who talked like this, and he was a, a, a you know Toastmaster General, they called him of the country, and he was uh, at all the funerals and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and 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 Johnny loved it so much that he he started he just opened that way. I'd be in makeup and and he'd come down and get the little spots taken off his hands and makeup and he'd say, "How you doing, John? It's good to see you again." And I'd say, "Okay," and we talked like that for a while. And uh, and and I'd make him laugh. I'd make him fall off the chair sometimes, just making him laugh. He just he just loved my stuff. Well, you had so many successful appearances. I don't remember if you remember thirty-seven. So <laughs> you, you remember, it, the lore goes that if Johnny liked you, he'd call you over to the couch. Was was that something you remember happening or knowing about before you went on? I I wasn't called over the first night, as I recall. I wasn't called over. I was called over the second, uh, third time I was on. I don't remember how many times I was on. I was called over to the, to the couch. And, uh, and it was easy going because he was an easy going guy. He had this list of things I was... You know, most of those hosts have a little list of guiding you into stories that you want to tell. And he just throw that away after a while and we just go. You know? Which is very, what's very unlike today. It, it seems so scripted. To, oh, it uh, is. Yeah, constantly. They very, very rarely go off the script. That's what I loved about Steve Allen and, and Johnny Carson is that they, hey, we, Johnny and I were talking. John and I were talking during the break. And we, we were both from Guam. He was going to Guam for a while in the Navy. And uh, we, we, we'd get in at something like that, for example. And uh, just out of nowhere, he'd pick a, a little subject. And there I, we don't, go. I don't think people appreciate, John, like the, the focus that was on you when you're on these shows today. Like Kimmel and Fallon, they're watched only in segmented little clips on YouTube. Their shows each night, well under 2 million watch each night. It's a very fragmented TV marketplace. In your heyday on the Ed Sullivan and the Johnny Carson shows, there were only three major networks. Right. And by the way, there weren't 350 million people. There were 250 million people. Yeah. So when you hear these numbers, like 60 million people saw Elvis on Ed Sullivan, 73 million watched the Beatles. So the amount of people watching you was incredible. Were you aware of this at that time? And, and how did you fight back the nerves? I mean, it's incredible to think how many people were watching you. Well, it's basically the people in the audience, you know? I mean, the audience is watching me. And, you know, who was ever watching that on the side in television around the world, 
it's it's just the audience in the in the in the room that that is concerned about you make make them happy make them laugh make them laugh so that the host is happy because he's having a fun show and he's happy that he's invited you on the show yeah and uh, you're adding to it uh, you know as as well as you can and uh, and that's what you think about you think about the audience the scale was so incredible. Did you notice a difference as soon as you started appearing on these shows and you went back into general population, so to speak? Did you, was there a noticeable difference in the amount of people that walked up and recognized you? Absolutely. Immediately. Immediately. It was that way. Hey, I, I go back. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't stay on television. I went back to my jobs, you know, whatever they were at the time. <laughs> and then I just see you on television. It was like that guy. <laughs> That guy from the, TV. I'd show up at the truck. Is what the hell are you doing? I just saw you on television. What are you doing here? You know, <laughs> making a living, sir. <laughs> now it's really interesting, John. In 2010, you appeared on the Late Show with David Letterman in the Ed Sullivan Theater on the very same stage that you had been on with the actual Ed Sullivan back in 1964. What do you remember about your Letterman appearance? And and that must have been a very emotional for you to be back on that stage again. Same stage, same dressing room upstairs. And uh, it was, uh, it was an amazing feeling. And I, I felt as though, I felt as though I'd, I'd see him there somehow, you know, and, uh, and it was, and I, and I dedicated my spot to, 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 to remembering the Ed Sullivan show and the people he had on it and how he acted about it. And uh, it was fun. It was a lot of, I had, I was really appreciative of the opportunity to do that, to play a little uh, homage to him. And well, when you watch that clip, of course, everything's on YouTube now. You can see uh, David Letterman, how much he appreciated you and, and, and appreciated you coming back to the stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, John, your unique ability to mimic and create voices opened up a world of possibilities to impersonate dozens of famous performers, ranked up with your impressions of John Wayne and Ed Sullivan, your most well-known voices might be the ones you did in 17 episodes of The Ant and the Aardvark cartoon series in 1969. <laughs> your, your aunt was based on Dean Martin. Your yeah. Aardvark was based on Jackie Mason. Yeah. Did, did you ever hear from either of those gentlemen as to their reaction to your cartoon creations? Not a thing about them. I, I, I actually uh, ran into them over the years, but uh, nobody ever said anything about it, but they did. They did get permission. The producers of the cartoon uh, series got permission from both of them uh, to be able to use their voice. Yeah. And and your experience doing, you know, voiceover rather than being on the screen, did you, it's just another tool in your toolbox or did you enjoy it any more or less than being on screen uh, where they could see you? I just love doing cartoons because, you know, you can wear anything you like. I mean, you can wear, you know, anything you like. You're in a booth, and they're saying to you, "Hey, John, in this one, the uh, the uh, butterfly is in love with the ant." You know, <laughs> you didn't want the guys in the navy to hear. <laughs> and uh, and it was fun to do. It was fun to to add little things. To hey, can you do it? And I, they'd say, "Hey, this little guy that we come in, can you do that?" And I did like lots of voices on that series, weren't just those two characters. Yeah, really, you did all the voices, if I'm not mistaken, on on the series, and it really opened up your creativity. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, John, also TV. You know, I still get residuals from all those cartoon people (laughs) I did years ago. Those little people are still out there making money for me. (laughs) 
Well, that that must be the best best reason to go to your mailbox each morning. Exactly. Now, you also did a lot of TV and movies, and within your vast catalog of TV and movie appearances, some interesting ones caught my eye. In the late 70s, you had a featured role as Detective Donahue in the final two seasons of the TV series Soap, working with Billy Crystal. How was working with Billy? Was this presumably, he was pre-famous, so to speak, or? Uh, Billy, Billy was... uh... Billy was all right. You know, I mean, it was just the cast there. It was the cast. Nobody stood out. It was at the cast. We were all all there and <clears throat> having a good time and lunchtime and what have you. And <clears throat> I spent a lot of time with uh, Catherine Hellmond, uh, the girl that I was supposed to be in love with, the woman. And, um, and I enjoyed every minute of it. <clears throat> Billy Crystal and I hadn't talked to each other very much in that series. I, I'm backstage or whatever. He uh, he came by. What's he just? He received a new camera for his birthday, and he came by my dressing room. He just knocked on the door. He said, "Hey, Bing, are you in there?" <laughs> Meaning Bing Crosby. He loved my Bing. He loved my Bing Crosby. And I said, "Yeah, how are you doing out there?" No, and he said, "Fine." He says, "What do you got to say?" I says, "Hey, has Gary got a job yet?" <laughs> his son and uh and we had a good time but but uh, you know every once in a while he'd come up to me and have a joke and uh, tell me the joke but we never hung out really and I and that was as you say that was a real ensemble that, that yes so, indeed yeah. it was <clears throat> lots of people from Canada uh, joined that show at times yeah Donnelly Rhodes Donnelly Rhodes was on it yes and a few others I can't remember their names but they were there I'd, I see movies and I remember the people I worked with in Canada and I say, Hey, this was made in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Now, John, in, yeah. in, in 1983, you had a role as doc in the film Stroker Ace. You were playing a yeah. longtime childhood friend to lead actor, Burt Reynolds, uh, working with Burt Reynolds. And did you have a friendship with him? Yes, we were friends. We were friends <laughs> when he was dating, uh, kind shore. Uh, she had me over the house for his birthday. He, he with a bunch of other people that were in the business, and we had a great time. And and he was always like, <laughs> anytime I showed up at, at one of the uh, one of the gatherings out there, be it the Friars Club or some other thing, uh, uh, Bert would come over to me. He said, John, can I give me this and give me a little do? You know, and give me, <laughs> he give me a list of things he loved hearing me do, <laughs> and uh, and I I I I do them for him. Sure, yeah. On uh, the the other big one that caught my eye, John, for you was you're a regular celebrity guest on Hollywood Squares during the John Davidson years. <laughs> Which square were you, and and how much fun was that? Because all these different celebrities were on that show. Yeah, well, it was a it was a good show because you had a chance to think of your own answer, and if you were a little stuck, there was a little answer on a piece of paper, a possibility of a joke, you know. But uh, but Peter always loved me. He always went to me for different things. Yeah, Peter Marshall, yeah. We're still the, friends. We talk oh, that's a lot. fantastic. Yeah. Well, the 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 sketch and the series that you're most well known for here in, in Toronto and Canada, dare I say, the comedy sketch series Bizarre, 1980 to 1986, six seasons filmed at CTV's Ancient Court Studios in Scarborough, now the home of TSN, the sports network. Bizarre aired nationally on CTV in Canada and on Showtime in the US. Why Toronto? What were your connections to producers uh, Alan Bly and Bob Einstein? 
Well, I worked with the, I worked with them. Uh, well, they were connected with the shows I'd done here in the States. Um, uh, Sonny and Cher, for example, and um, uh, uh, Red Fox and, uh, and uh, one or two others. And, and I'd always see them and, and, uh, <laughs> and they wanted to, they wanted to do this bizarre thing, you know, and, and they had that English actor, I his name, his name. They had him do the pilot and uh, they didn't care too much for what he did. It was a mess, baby, it's best I don't remember his name. And, uh, and, and then they, they called on me and I went up to the office and they told me what they were, what they were trying to do. And, and I did a multitude of characters. In fact, Alan Bly told me at the end of the six years that I had done over 350 or 360 different characters in all those years that we did that show. I, I believe it. And yeah. not only a lot, a lot of characters, you did a lot of innovative things. You regularly broke the fourth wall with glee uh, and your, your banter with uh, producer Bob. Now, Bob Einstein was actually the producer and the producer on the show. Uh, yeah. You never wanted to leave. I, I, I distinctly remember, I'm not going to leave when I thought the show was over because it's not over. You no. were about to walk out <laughs> with, with Bob. Yeah. Was that scripted or were you guys literally uh, like... We, uh, go, go- we had lived a lot in, in what the idea was to take her out, go out to the limousine or go down the hallway or whatever it was. And I, I and he'd, he'd laugh so hard at me that we'd have to stop the <laughs> Don't make me laugh. He'd say, "Don't make me laugh." And well, well he, making, he, he was famous. He was famous for for keeping his composure. So I guess uh, yes, th- there, yes, there were times when he broke. Yeah, he, he now this was yeah. Well, this was significant, John, because I, I, you know, nobody had seen this. Ha- nobody knew what happened behind the scenes at Ed Sullivan or Johnny Carson, and and subsequently, I don't know if you want to take credit for, it, but what you did there was used like in Gary Shandling's show, where they went behind the scenes and saw yeah, the yeah, same thing same thing ripped it right off but they you know how can you do you know that's uh that's what they say is a form of uh liking you as absolutely uh, other words you know yeah i re- i remember even at the beginning as the curtain opened you regularly grab onto it and uh <laughs> yeah, the again guys, I, the guys the guys have put some uh, some hooks in there for me to some handles I first used to do it just with the with the board, and they were afraid I'd fall off. So they they actually put handles in it, and go up with it. Yeah, there and then were let only, go. There were only two shows in my household we had to watch. Uh, my late father Bob and my my brother Lawrence. We watched Hockey Night in Canada, and we watched John Biner on Bazaar. So it was amazing how much people remember. You had the silent T-shirt sketch was an innovation. Yes. John Biner yoga with yes. highlighted your physical comedy. <laughs> we did crazy things. Yeah. We did crazy, crazy things. Oh, like the the, uh, the televangelist, <laughs> and the, and the place for animals. You know, we had the animal uh, uh, <laughs> healing observatory or whatever the hell it was called, and uh, the dogs are chasing around. <laughs> and I was, I was, I just tell this thing about the life. <laughs> And that money will come from your wallet into my hands. <laughs> you, you also had, there was, there was actually nudity on the show. It was censored when shown in Canada. You had cursing, which was also censored in Canada. Yeah, was that, yeah. like, was that 
planned out, so to speak, or, or what well, do you expect the reaction was? Here's what it was. It, here's what it was. It was new. Showtime was new. Uh, I, was, was, I was the first regularly scheduled television show on cable. And, uh, and uh, they wanted something different. And, and the only way to be different was to say things that we couldn't say on other, other channels. So that's what we did. We didn't take advantage of it. I think we, we, we used the, what do you call the F-bomb twice in the six years. And uh, it was only for special occasions. And, um, and it, was just, it was just to get another thing for people to, to watch, you know, the, the breasts and all that kind of stuff. And um, and it was it was unique in that sense. I, I think mean, it was. The uh, there were also notable Canadian stars on Bazaar. Mike oh, yeah. Myers appeared yeah, as your yeah. son in, in a season one episode. The late Billy Van, who uh, produced, he was one. He did yeah, a lot yeah. of it. Billy did a lot of our shows. Yeah, he when, and he went on the Canadian cult series, the hilarious House of Frightenstein. Uh, Royal Canadian Air Force is Luba Goy. Yes, <laughs> he was uh, wonderful. SCTV's Dave Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, former Much Music City personality Ziggy Lawrence uh, was also on Bizarre. Uh, you had cameos from Americans, including Pat Morita, a.k.a. Arnold yeah. from Happy Days. Yeah, we were pals. And, uh, Born so on the same day. Wow. We had the same birthday, yeah. You had a young uh, SNL's Victoria Jackson. Yeah. The unknown comic from the Gong Show. Oh yeah, yeah. And and Billy Barty. Yeah, Billy, we loved him. We had him on several times. John, how you doing? Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a wonderful guy. John, I don't know if you remember over these six seasons. I don't know what kind of schedule you were on, but I was curious. Where do you remember where you lived in Toronto? Would you spend long periods of time in Toronto, or were you constantly flying back and forth to the U.S.? When we got up there, I'd stay there. I'd stay there for ten weeks in the summer, and we do twenty-six shows. We do we do little things, and they they put them together to make shows. We didn't do one thing after another that was going to be the show. We did a sketch here and a sketch there and a thing outside and a thing here. And uh, they, and then uh, Alan Bly would go in the studio uh, and, and, and put it all together and make your show. You know, that, that's how we did it. Do you remember where you, did you, were you in a hotel or did you actually live somewhere? Oh, we first home? stayed, we first stayed at that beautiful big hotel, that big old beautiful old, what's it, York, Royal, Royal York. Royal York. And, and the, the Queen Mum used to stay there. <laughs> yes. Every time I'd come back from work and see that red carpet going up the stairs, I knew the mum was in there. And I was sleeping in the same house as the queen mom. How wonderful is that? And, uh, and it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful hotel. And, uh, and uh, we enjoyed that. But after that, I, I rented a house for a while because I'd bring my kids up there. Yeah. I rented a house for a while and then uh, and different, different places over the years, well, the uh, the cast of uh, Godspell had had famously uh, these are all the people that went on to SCTV and other other careers. They had famously rented a house at at uh, ten sixty six Avenue Road in Central Toronto and had fond memories. You remember any particular things you like to do, or uh, whether you somewhere you like to eat or something you like to do when you're not on camera when you were in Toronto during those years? Well, my big friend, my big friend up there who knew the city and still does, and we're we're very tight friends, uh, Gary Chowan. Who was a uh, an artist in hair, 
<laughs> and uh, he used to be he used to be a, a shares uh, hairdresser when he was 16 years old. And and when he worked with us, he did all my wigs together, and he'd tell me, and he and he'd show me, and take me to all the great restaurants, and and uh, and he was the guy. He was the guy for me, you know, because uh, and he still is. So I go to Toronto, and and we'll go out, and and uh, Gary's a great guy. You had to go see him sometime. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. I, I don't have my, my, my hair is gone now. So my well, hair is gone. But <laughs> <laughs> well, he did all, all the uh, character wigs for me. He got them in place and he was wonderful in that respect and, and a good friend, really a good friend. Well, that's great. Let's talk a little more about poker face extraordinaire, Bob Einstein, who, who did the voiceovers on Bazaar and he bantered highly <laughs> with you as the straight man yeah. uh, to your wisecracking star. He was the straight man producer. Bob Einstein was Albert Brooks' brother, as I'm sure yes. you know. Yes. And dear, dear listeners, you should be able to understand why Bob Einstein's brother, Albert, changed his last name to Brooks. Uh, John, John, you had hosted your own variety show in 1972 called the John Biner Comedy Hour. This was where, I believe, the character Super Dave Osborne, portrayed by Bob Einstein, was first introduced. The first introduction from my friend Bob was on the... <clears throat> Dick Van Dyke show. Dick Van Dyke show. He was uh, Super Dave on the big uh, Dick Van Dyke show for one time. And then uh, when he came up with Bizarre, he slowly introduced that character. It was on, uh, I think, the thir- third season he came on as Super Dave. And then after that, he, he came on just about every show. And it was always fun to watch him. <laughs> it was always fun to take care of his stuff. And I could always make him laugh. And I love the fact that I could make him laugh because nobody else could make him laugh. <laughs> well, I'm wondering how many times you had to retape stuff because to the to the viewer, such as myself, he was always deadpan and straight faced. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we did one where I had I broke him up so many times that we'd hit take after take after take going out to the car. He was, he was, it was taking me, and I was in his dress, this crazy thing, and he's bothering me, and I'm taking. No, oh, you made me use the wrong earrings, and and, and he and make him laugh because every time I'd say something different at the ending, you know, I, I'd kiss him on the cheek before I got in the car, or something else that made him laugh, and we'd have to stop it and do it all over again, and it was fun, and it turned out to be a, a great spot. Well, it's very clear to me that, that you had a, a friendship outside yeah. of the uh, TV. How, how did that come about in the sense of he, he's he's now known as a, a comedian in his own right, but he was a producer at Bazaar. Which came first? Was he always a producer and on the show, or how did that all come together? Uh, yeah, he was the producer on the show to begin with. Yeah, he and he and Bob. Uh, uh, Gar- uh, yeah. <laughs> he and Alan Bly invited me to their office in Los Angeles in the Valley. And I went up there and they both had this thing going on. And, uh, and that's the way it was. He did all the editing, uh, Gary. I mean, uh, <clears throat> Alan Bly did all the editing of all yeah. the shows. And, uh, and Bob would, it, it just was right there at rehearsals. He was there. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes a kid would have, uh, would, would come on and he'd, he'd be going, what happened? <laughs> Making sure it's you. I'm, I got this on my screen here. Um, um, once in a while, some kid at rehearsal would, you know, they'd have an extra come and 
and maybe his thing was to just come and, and hand me a, a, sli- a slip of paper or something, a, a note, or, and leave. And he'd, and he'd, he'd say something. <laughs> he'd, make, he'd make up his mind. It might be funny to say, here's the note or whatever. And from the back of the room, you'd hear Bob saying, hold it, hold it. Who told you to say that? Who told you to say that? And I knew I had 10 or 15 minutes. So I'd go out and I'd, I'd skip rocks on the lake. We'd, just, we'd come by the lake. I'd had 15 minutes to myself outside. And then I'd look at my watch and say, well, he's been he's, he's been uh, 15 minutes dressing that kid down and tough by the time I go back on there. You sounded like a troublemaker on set, John. <laughs> in, uh, yeah. in, in 2020... <laughs> You decided to write a book with your good yeah. friend, Doug Wellman. Right. And this is called Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, A Lifetime yeah. of Laughter. Uh, was this a COVID project or had, had, what made this well, come it was to some, fruition? You know, it was something that I, I, I used to, when, when uh, Doug Wellman was the producer of a show called Comedy on the Road, where I traveled around the country to England and, and in some places in Mexico with him. And I tell him my stories. He tell me his stories. And uh, and and at the end of, of this thing, at the last show we did, we flew back to L.A. And then I went to get into my car, and he went to get into his car. And before that, he'd say, he said to me, John, if you ever want to write a book, I'll help you with it. And and so years went by. I mean, from 1986 until a couple of years back. And I I said, hey, you know, I called him and I said, hey, yeah. Uh, we were friends over the years and uh, talking and running into each other in Vegas, what have you. And, uh, and uh, he said, yeah, let's do that. And that's, that's how that the book uh, began. And the foreword is written by Nathan Lane. How did Nathan Lane come into your life and what's your friendship like with him? Well, I got a call from my agent and he said, they said that they want to see you in uh, New York about being in a play, a musical on uh, Broadway and, and uh, and uh, and I went up to audition a few days later. I flew up the last time I flew, two thousand four, and uh, and I flew up to New York from here. And uh, and I, I met Nathan and uh, and uh, Susan Stroman, the uh, choreographer, and uh, and Stephen Sunheim said, "Call me Steve," you know. And uh, and he wrote a song for my character after two weeks of rehearsal and. Uh, just for me and my character and uh, and Nathan and I have become friends and he'll call me on my birthday. He calls me on my birthday and I love hearing from him and, and he's a beautiful guy and, 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 uh, and I love him and I love Bob and I loved, I loved all these people I'd worked with and I still do. Well, and I think that comes out in your book, John, you, you really focused on, the the good times and the positive things and and it was very clear how many fantastic uh, experiences and memories you've had yeah and i and they continue i'm just uh, very pleased to be in this business very lucky very happy and uh i uh, i love making people laugh more than anything in the world well that comes across very clearly i'm going to assume for the book there's an audio book i'm going to assume you narrated it Yes. And further, I'm going to assume that was probably the best part of the whole process for you. <laughs> well, I had to edit that too. <laughs> I'd go home with these little CDs and, and say, no, you missed that. And I'd, I'd make a note about that and all kinds of different things. And, um, 
And it was, you know, it was very interesting. It was all new to me. It was all, all uh, a whole different scene. And don't, you know, pick up all that kind of stuff in there. And it was, it's always interesting. Well, when you wrote that book, you know, some people would describe it as a cathartic experience or like having now completed the book and having gone back all the way to your beginnings, how'd you come out of it? Did you find it, it awakened things and emotions you hadn't uh, felt in a long time? And was it a great way to summarize all the great experiences you've had? Well, yeah. I mean, and it's like anything else, you know, it's like a joke that leads to a joke that leads to a joke and a, um, and a, and a story that would lead to another story. Cause I remember that, it's, that was part of that. And that led to that and all kinds of things I hadn't thought about in years. And, uh, and it was, it was fascinating to me to realize that I had done all these things. <laughs> I just, I didn't realize it. I did. I did a show with uh, God bless his heart and uh, you know his his soul with uh, Gilbert Gottfried. I did a couple of Gilbert Gottfried podcasts and uh, and 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 he'd come on and he'd start reading all. And we're gonna have John Biner and he's done this and that and he'd read off these old. It went on for fifteen minutes and he did that and he was on Get Smart and he was in all these different things. <laughs> And then, and then he'd remind me of things. Oh, weren't you the guy that used to do that little voice? You know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the way it goes. One thing will lead to another, and to another, and oh yeah. The and on that note, John, do you ever hear from modern day comedians? How often do you hear from someone who reaches out to you or, or references your work? Never. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, I get I get uh, a lot of emails from kids that were on the young people that were on my comedy on the road show stand ups, and they always, uh, you know, admired me and they're very happy to work with me, and, and they were thrilled to have met me and all that kind of stuff, and and that's wonderful because I feel that way about a lot of people I meet, and and, and uh, it, it's a big deal, you know, it's a really when I did Henry Fonda movie, my God, I said this is Henry Fonda. Worked with Bing Crosby, you know. It's Bing Crosby. I'm I'm sitting here talking to Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire and all these things and, and James Cagney and what have you. And uh, and it was just it's just a fascinating and wonderful life. Well, yeah. absolutely, and, and and you've already you you, you uh, stole my next question, which was all the experiences you had and all the people you met. Uh, you drop a few names here. What celebrities or people that you really kind of idolized did you have a chance to meet, and 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 did it meet your expectations? You know, you've heard some people say, ah, "I wish I hadn't actually met that person. They weren't as great as I thought." <laughs> who, who did you have interactions with, and and did it meet your 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 needs? Yes, I mean everybody was wonderful. I mean, absolutely wonderful. Everybody was sometimes even better than I thought they were. And, and, and like Cagney, he me to his house twice. Finer, John, Johnny, Johnny boy. Jono, he called me Jono. I guess it sounds more Irish. Jono. <laughs> and uh, we had, uh, I mean, it's just great. I mean, uh, Orson Welles wanted me to be on the Carson show with him. I mean, you know, come on. It's just, uh, you go, What? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Jimmy Cagney is sitting across from me. We had what he called a smoker. Just you, me, and the boys. <laughs> and he's sitting there, and he's got the cane, you know, his chin on it. He's like this, sitting there, and he kept looking over at me. I was about 10 feet away from him. And he, finally, he said after uh, 
somebody was playing the banjo and and something. He says, Jono. And I'm like, what's he going to say? He says, do you do Jimmy Stewart? (laughs) Do I do Jimmy Stewart? I said, everybody does Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) Who doesn't do Jimmy? Yeah, 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 I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, wonderful moments. John, there is an interesting TV story interaction that did not quite occur between you and Happy Days. I believe I've cobbled oh, yeah. together the correct story. And, and if I may, I'll, I'll set it up and you can set the record straight if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. And that was in 1977, Happy Days was one of the biggest shows on television. Producer Gary Marshall had taken his son to see Star Wars and the boy asked to make an episode of Happy Days with Aliens. This was a ridiculous idea, but Gary Marshall pitched it to the writing team, who also thought it was a ridiculous idea, but nonetheless created a script. No less than Potsy, played by Anson Williams, also said this was not a great idea. It was, in fact, the worst Happy Days script he'd ever read. It is notable that this was during the 1978 season in which Happy Days jumped the shark, the now common phrase which originated when Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, literally jumps over a cage shark on water skis. By the way, Henry Winkler actually was on skis in those scenes, which is, he was a water skier. <laughs> you, you, John Biner, had been Gary Marshall's original suggestion to play the character that they had written, Mork from Orc on Happy Days, but you also found the premise not so great, and you declined to audition. You said, thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'm yeah. not... I'm not going to participate. Robin Williams ended up taking that role of Mork from Ork. It proved to, you know, make his career and it led to Mork and Mindy as the spinoff. Right. Uh, That's a bit of a internet myth or is that kind of correct? And it's just an interesting interaction. uh, Well, I'll just give you the whole story. Okay. Thank you. And it's it's very short and it's very right to, right to the point. I was invited to a, a dinner party, uh, Ron Howard and his wife and uh, a lovely girl I was dating at the time who was an actress at one time uh, at her little uh, apartment in uh, L.A. And after dinner, uh, we're sitting around and uh, and uh, Ron says, hey, they'd like to see you over at the, you know, blah, 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 audition for this character called Mork. He's going to this, that. And the other thing, and I said, does Mork make a lot of noises, sounds? He said, yeah. I said, I'm not interested in that. I said, I don't really want to do it. And that's as far as it went. As far as it went. And then they made a movie of this. The making of Mark and Mindy. And I think, I don't know what they call it. But in it, they had this red-headed guy saying, this is crap. Looking at the script and saying, this is crap. And throwing it down and walking off the set. You know, that was supposed to be me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad we had a chance to clarify because I, 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 I had understood that did not take place. I'm glad you can uh, confirm. No. And did you have anybody con- asked me, I say, Hey, how come you turned down more community? I said, I, I'm so glad I did because Robin Williams looks so much better in those tights than I ever wore, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> in my skinny legs. Is, is it, he certainly went on to a great career himself as well. Yeah. John, as we come to a close, I greatly appreciate your time. What are your plans for the remainder of 2022 and beyond? Are you working on anything besides you enjoying your Florida retirement? 
Well, I get little things now and then. I, I'm, I'm in a picture uh, that's, that's coming out next year called, it's a remake of a picture that was done in the 40s called DOA. And uh, I, it's not a comedy. It's a hit on arrival. And, uh, and that comes out next year. And I did um, a couple of other things. And, uh, uh, and, and then just some people were talking to me about coming up and doing Bizarre all over again. Wow. Are you serious? I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, and, uh, and so that, that's uh, tucked away somewhere. I don't know where. My agent would be able to answer that question. I don't, I don't bug my agent. <laughs> well, she's got her job. I'll leave her alone. Something comes up, she'll let me know. Well, anyway, you can yeah. add my vote. I would love to see a bizarre yeah. relaunch. Well, all right then. Anybody want to write in and get that going? I'll be happy to do that. But, That's um, but I loved all the actors, all the people that worked on that show. They were wonderful, and Tom Harvey was fantastic. And uh, and I just, if I if I could do it again, I would. That's well, all I can. Tell. And maybe you will. Maybe you I mean, will. It's like it's like a kid's dream to be able to do all those different characters and those different costumes and all that fun, and to be able to just throw things out and if you think it's funny and see if it sticks on the wall or what have you. And it was it was quite an experience. And Toronto, Toronto is like dream. It's just it's just a wonderful city. Well, we love you here as well, John. Where can we best follow you and know what you're up to? <laughs> Well, John underscore Biner at yahoo.com. Or and you have your or, website, johnbiner.com. Johnbiner.com, yeah. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time. Please, everyone, the, the book is out there. You'll really enjoy it. Five minutes, Mr. Biner. And I appreciate your time. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And to the listener, thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. And on behalf of John Biner, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep 
and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.